Hey everyone, welcome back to Informal Education. It's Aaron Rowe here, and as always, I'm with my partner, Amiko Stroud. Hey everyone, today we are here with the, our guest, who is somebody very special to me, Niambi Clay. We invited her onto the podcast today to talk about her career in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And can't wait to share more about Niambi with you all. She is a Stanford alumnus with her bachelor degree in linguistics. She also has a master's of arts education and her MBA from Stanford. And then she's an educational reform professional with 14 plus years of post MBA experience with extensive knowledge in program development, educational startup operations, community and student outreach strategies in both rapidly growing educational startup organizations and municipal school districts. She's currently the executive director of equity, social justice, and inclusion at the San Mateo County Office of Education. Did it sound like a mouthful? Absolutely, because she's done so many amazing things. And that's why we were so just pumped to have her um, talk with you. Yes. So please stay tuned to hear more about Niambi. Thank you. I need to be here as well. Thank you, Amiko. I'm no I'm equal. I can't reiterate that enough. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is it's such a it's such a deep and amazing topic to go over at any point. And right now, with the state of the world, I think the more conversations we're able to have about this, the better. So I'm really excited for our listeners to be able to kind of listen in to us just diving deeper into what all of it means. But before we do uh, get into it, how is everyone doing today? I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing very well. Yeah, it's Friday. It's a nice day. I'm ready for the weekend. So it's a good day. Awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm glad everyone's staying warm and safe. Uh, I'm doing well as well. And to kick us off, um, Niambi, I'd love to just first start with what does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean to you? How do you define it and think about it? Um, for me, diversity means it can mean so many things because mm-hmm. we all have so many aspects to our identity. And so yeah. you can look at diversity in all types of ways. Um, in my work, we really focus on racial diversity as a lens to look at other types of identities and intersectionality. Um, and so inclusion, we really work to make sure that everyone feels like they belong and so it's not when i think about these things it's not from the from my point of view it's really asking from their point of view do you feel like you belong it's not whether or not i'm including you it's not about me it's about Mm -hmm. them and so Mm -hmm. um that's how i think about diversity you can talk about in all kinds of ways and really just making sure as a community that we're including everybody making sure everybody has a voice and has a way to express their different identities. That completely resonates. And with that, where did your kind of diverse, your DEI career journey begin? Kind of how did, how did that get, how did you get started in that? Um, Sure. So I started my career after college. I started as a secondary math teacher here in the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. the San Francisco Bay Area. So Oakland, Alameda, Berkeley, um, and after I left the classroom to go back to grad school to get my MBA and my master's in ed at the same time, 
because I was really trying to understand like um, business practices and how to improve the efficiency of education for our students. And so after grad school, I became an administrator in Oakland um, for student support. And so that was really supporting schools that were low performing and supporting their students. And so there was a parent choice program where parents got to choose what type of tutoring or support they wanted for their students. So it was a lot of community outreach. And so through all of those experiences, I had to interact with all types of people. And so you kind of learn to develop that muscle of having empathy and really being able to work with all types of folks. And after I was an administrator in Oakland, I helped start an organization called Equal Opportunity Schools. And so in that organization, that's what I did for the past 10 or so years. Um, we really work to desegregate schools. So we all know Brown versus Board of Education says we're not supposed to have segregated schools. But if you go inside the buildings around this country, the schools are very segregated inside. So there's certain students in certain classes and then our black and brown kids are in low, low um, rigorous classes. So we really work to identify low income students, black and brown students, to um, place them in AP and IB classes. And so really giving them access to the education that they deserve. And even though it was about AP and IB, we used that as a lever to kind of talk about barriers to access and teacher expectations for all students and their policies. And so it was AP and IB, but we used that to talk about all kinds of cultural things and mm. expectations for students. And so I think for me, when I do this DEI work, I really go back to my teaching, like kind of my intuition and my empathy. When you have, when you're a teacher, mm -hmm. you have people that are all different in your classroom. They're at different levels of instruction. They come with different backgrounds. And so you have to really think, how do I take this whole group of students and move them along this journey? And that's how I think about DEI work. How do we take all these people who are in these different places on their journey and move them along together so that we're becoming better as a society together? What did that, you know, what did that process kind of look like day to day trying to convince teachers and administrators that, you know, a certain type of student does deserve to be in advanced placement in IB classes? You know, <laughs> how, how did that, what did that look like? I can only imagine um, what types of conversations you have to have there. I think a big component of it was really helping them see the individual students. And so mm. people tend, we tend to stereotype and lump people into these groups where we're just assuming everyone's alike. And so we surveyed all the students in the school. We surveyed all the teachers in the school. And so we would really, we would get, um, produce these cards, we call them student insight cards. And so you'd have like the student's picture, you'd have what the students said, you'd have all this information about them that you didn't have before. And it really gave a good snapshot into the student. And so mm. being able to have conversations about particular students, not allowing them to just kind of stereotype and say, oh, you know, a Latino student, they're not gonna do it because they have a language barrier. It's like, nope, let's talk about this particular student. They can access certain classes making sure we're choosing a class that they're interested in. And so it, it 
it's detailed work, but it's necessary work so that we're not kind of lumping people, you know, all into one group or one image or one stereotype. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of student voice. I think that's what's missing a lot of times. Yeah. It's really bringing in that student voice. So first of all, I don't know if I've ever like told you this, but your job is literally the job I wanted. I just didn't know it was a real <laughs> job. <laughs> that's why we're having um, these conversations, you know? Yes. Um, so what as it sounds right now, that little bit makes it seem like one of the aspects of your job is being a student mm -hmm. advocate, which is something super important because in my high school, I wish I would have had somebody advocating for the black and brown mm -hmm. students, like the way you're doing it. But what made that like one of your priorities? I think, what, why? you know, you never know from your experiences how these things are going to affect you later. But mm -hmm. when I was in high mm -hmm. school, I had to really fight to get into AP classes. I tried, I talked to my counselor. She wouldn't put me in. My parents talked to her. She still wouldn't put me in. My parents made an appointment with the principal. He wouldn't do it, but he did switch my counselor to a Latino counselor. And so my new counselor is the one who put me into the AP class. And so that, that was a lot. It shouldn't take all of that <laughs> to get into the class. But even mm -hmm. after I was there, I was one of two black students in the AP program and my, my um, high school in Oakland was 40% black. And so you have 40% black population and only two of us in AP is unacceptable. Um, but, you know, at the time it's like, I just, I endured, <laughs> but you don't know like, oh, later on when I saw the job for equal opportunity schools, it's like, oh, I can tell my story because I think that really helps people mm -hmm. understand. It's like, nope, this happened to me also. Um, and so I think, yeah, you just don't know how your experiences are going to influence your life later, but everything builds on itself. And you really, you kind of highlighted yeah. the, not issue, but the struggle it can be to be an only, right? Mm -hmm. To be the only Black, to be the only woman, to be the only in a, in a certain setting, how have you all thought about, you know, helping <laughs> correct for that too? Yeah, I think in our work, we really focused on cohorts of students because mm -hmm. you're right. Being the only is a whole nother stressor when you're trying to learn. And, you know, if you're talking about Black History Month and everyone turns and looks at you like you're the <laughs> You're the Black person now. <laughs> exactly. So, it was really important to move students in large groups as cohorts. Um, but also just because a lot of the educators wanna say, oh, okay, we might be missing one or two special students, but it's like, nope, you have several students who can actually do this. You need to believe in more of your students. And so moving mm -hmm. as a cohort also showed them that you have far more students who can do this work than you're thinking originally. So I think that cohort model, that support model is really important both for the student, but also for the educators to just understand it's not one or two who are capable and smart. It's, right. it's lots of us. You can develop the genius in a lot more students. No, I think that totally makes sense. Please and, go, Miko. Oh, I just wanted to go back to the, the only comment about being the only because 
education being the only in education goes beyond mm-hmm. being a student uh, there's not a lot of um black and brown people mm-hmm. that are teachers so does your job also support them or do you just support the um students? in this job actually we are trying to think about how we develop a network of educators so that they can support one another in San Mateo County specifically, the population of black educators is actually really low. And mm. so they are feeling, I did hear the feedback that certain educators are feeling isolated in their districts. And so we're trying to figure out a way where we can connect them, bring them together, help them support one another. Um, Cause that that is a big problem, you know, another one of my passions is just (laughs) the black teacher pipeline and increasing that pipeline. And so we do want to increase the number of teachers that we get into the classroom, but the other piece is the retention piece. So making sure that we support those teachers, Mm -hmm. um, a lot is put on our teachers of color. And so we do want to make sure that we are supporting them once they get in there, because the retention piece is so important to maintain the um, numbers of black teachers that we really want. That makes sense. And I'm just thinking now, okay, so you're working within this large school, like fairly large, you know, school district, Mm -hmm. fairly affluent. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure have very particular ways of wanting to do things or anticipating doing things. How, how have you gone about just figuring out what the, what the best solutions are, and then how do you become an advocate for those solutions? Well, since I'm new to this role, um, my first step was really doing a listening tour. I, mm. you know, in, in our equity work, another big piece that's missing is people listening to their stakeholders. People want to go in and say, I know what's right for you, and let's put these things in place. But I don't know what's right for them. I'm not part of that community yet. Um, or I've only been part for a short time. So I think it's important that you really ask people, what do they need? And so that's really been my first step is going in. Um, the superintendent gave me a list of folks to talk to. So I did that, but then I recognized they're mostly managers. And so ask for additional people to talk to, because it's also important that you get all levels, all types of people when you're trying to figure out how to support folks and so um I just that asking them what their biggest equity challenges are I think is key and so I'm not just assuming that I know what they want but really asking them and then putting that together and so far um, the county has 400 employees I've only done kind of a listening campaign within the county office but they also have 23 districts that they support. Oh my goodness. And so my next kind of step in this is figuring out how to get to those districts and then ask them also how they want the county to best support them in their equity work. Have there been any kind of high level themes that you've seen come through during this listening tour? Um, yes. Uh, people are in, like I said, in different places on their journey, but they're yeah. looking to have shared experiences together and mm-hmm. have shared language around this. So everyone's still learning and they want to be able to learn together. Yeah. Um, another thing is people just don't know what others are doing in terms of equity. And so really 
trying to kind of gather those best practices of what people are currently doing around mm -hmm. equity and social justice. Um, so kind of a community of practice. Um, and then the other biggest piece, I think, is the action piece. Um, people, we have like resolutions from the board around, you know, um, being anti-racist and these things. And so people want to know, what does that mean in action? What does that mean for our students? How do we support our districts around that? And so I think those are like the high level pieces that mm -hmm. people want to see and that'll go into my plan. Wow. I, every time I hear you talk about your job, I'm just like, this is, this is so much. It's like every, there's always something else whenever you, we get into it. And thinking about that, and I'm just, it's so funny too that Amiko earlier on this on this call said, I didn't even know the job that you have now existed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, considering Next Step is um, really like a career navigation tool, mm -hmm. I love to spend a little bit of time just talking about how did you even find this role? What did that process look like for you? Um, I mean, I think right now the opportunity opened up because of all of what's going on social unrest and just mm -hmm. more visibility into it um we know it's been going on a long time mm -hmm. all the police brutality and whatnot but since more people are now aware of it i think these types of jobs are opening up and so i actually just found this on like um actually one of my colleagues at my old job sent it to me but then I saw it online. And so I just applied for it like that. But I will say, I feel like my other roles kind of led me to this yeah. job. Um, I, even though I took this job, so at the time it started, it's like when it rains, it pours. So then I had several job offers at one time. And I took this one, um, Mm -hmm. But I did want to say, as people of color, I feel like we need more guidance in how to do this work because I got an offer from someone else around um, Black Teacher Pipeline, and that is a passion of mine. And I didn't know that that was even an option. And I had talked to this guy several times. I did a webinar for him, but I, I wasn't explicit. And so I wish I had been more explicit and say, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Can you help me get here? Um, and instead I was more like, oh, I want a job in education that's gonna improve outcomes for students. But that's like so kind of general. And so mm -hmm. I do think um, we need ways to share strategies that will mm. get us exactly what we want instead of kind of letting things happen to us. That being said, I do still love this <laughs> job that I did take. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, no regrets there, but I, I do, I do think there are better ways that I could have navigated kind of my job search in this process. Yeah, I, I hear and understand that. And I think with a lot of what's coming through is, you, you've ended up in a great role, but is the intentionality was only partially there because you were kind of learning as you go. Correct. And the more we can come together as a community and teach each other, have these types of conversations around how to be super specific about 
you know, what excites you, what you're looking for, what you want to get out of it, the more likely that can come true. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I, if one of our coaches, she's, she's so wonderful, wonderful. And she's talked so much about manifesting what you, what you want. Mm-hmm. And it sounds very, you know, Yoo-hoo, crazy, but it's true, right? Mm-hmm, it that's, is. <laughs> that's why when you write down what you want, a lot of times it comes true because you're much more focused on it. You know, mm-hmm. you share with people exactly what you want. There, it's easier for them to forward you the types of jobs that you might be interested in. Um, yeah, or just it starts getting on people's radars more, and the community can start working to help you instead of you trying to work again, kind of on your own and in silo. Mm-hmm. And I would say, even just try to start to articulate it because it'll yeah. help you also refine your own ideas about what you want, the more yeah. you talk about it. Um, so even if you don't know exactly what it is to try to start talking about it and keep talking about it with yourself and having that conversation with yourself and with others will help. Others can also help you refine really where you want to be. So, I mean, you mentioned that this is something that a lot of POC mm-hmm. and women struggle with. So what, like, I don't want to be like, <laughs> like, what advice would you give? But I guess <laughs> that's the only way to really say it. Because you, like, I know a lot of people in my generation do struggle with mm-hmm. being able to speak up for themselves, especially mm-hmm. when it's like in the workplace. So like, what would you say to do? Or how would you... Um, I mean, this is going to be cheesy too, but practice does make perfect. Like you do have to practice (laughs) it because you'll get more comfortable with it. I think that's the thing is like, we we're uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable because we're not used to it. And so then you don't do it, but it's, you need to try it out, try your voice out, ask for what you want. It'll feel uncomfortable, but you'll learn to do it better each time. Um, the other thing I would say for us, um, you know, people tend to think about mentors as like this really formal mm-hmm. kind of thing where I join a program or I met this person through work. And I would like for our community and women to think more about a mentor could be someone in your family it could mm-hmm. be a friend, like people, we actually know people who know stuff, but we are like, oh, that person is not a mentor because I'm related to them. Mm. Um, so really thinking, rethinking <laughs> who our mentors are, who we should reach out to, who can support us, I think is really important um, and not thinking about it in such a formal kind of manner. And I think the third piece is we have to model it for each other. If we see mm-hmm. other Black women in the organization asking for what mm-hmm. they want and seeing how they do it, and we need to model that for the people coming up after us. So just being able as a community to start to make it a norm and model it for one another, I think would be really, really helpful. There's so many things you just said that <laughs> um, I, I can follow up on. I think the the piece around mentor kind of formalization is it's so spot on. There's there's a book I read and one chapter was called "Are You My Mentor?" and the takeaway was 
if you're emailing someone, are you my mentor? They're probably not your mentor, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's actually the people who are willing to have these candid conversations with you to give you, you know, just really good direct feedback mm-hmm. who are able to push you and help you grow. And to your point, you can find that in so many different places, but it's just being able to identify it and then being, you know, clear enough to articulate what you want to them and, and how that all goes. I think that was just, that was such like a perfect um, way to help grow and address a lot of this um, like lack of advocacy that mm-hmm. I feel like blacks and women often struggle with people of color in general. I also think we, well, to, you mentioned like being related to somebody and not seeing them mm-hmm. as a mentor because you're related, because I've done that. Like mm-hmm. I babysat for my aunt, but I was like, I don't think I should use you as a reference because we're related. Mm-hmm. Even though I was watching her baby from 6 a.m. to like, Mm-hmm. Went to sleep, so I was doing <laughs> regular babysitting work. Yeah, so and she was like, yes. "No, mm-hmm. you can put me down." Yes, mm-hmm. everybody else uses their family, and if it, if it wasn't for her, like basically making mm-hmm. me do it, I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have mm-hmm. been like, "I'll just go to somebody else," even though she is probably the mm-hmm. best person because yes. she will speak very mm-hmm. highly of me, and I was there all day. So, yeah, it's just I think that is something that as a community mm-hmm. we do need to get better at i don't i don't know i why mean in the old boys harder, network so. you know these <laughs> exactly white guys a lot of them are related mm-hmm. a lot of them like grew up it's my father's friend you know from when i was a baby and then they support each other like mm-hmm. so we need to do that same thing but in our way in our community Yes, and thank you for joining us. <laughs> You're uh, anytime, me do that. anytime. Thank you. You too, Erin. Anytime. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, as we're getting close to wrapping up, uh, Niambi, we we've been liking to ask our guests, you know, what is a book or podcast or TV show that they're that you're enjoying right now that you would, you know, recommend to others. Um. That is a good question. I let me see. I realize we're putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Because <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the last <laughs> kind of thing I read, and I think it, I think it depends on your audience and and what you're trying to do. But for me, <laughs> in this in my new role, I just read a book um, called "So You Want to Talk About Race," um, and mm. it's by a black woman. I uh, forgot the author right now. I'll have to run over there and get it. But um, it's it's what I liked about it is it's giving me strategies <laughs> to help white people talk about race. Because I because mm-hmm. another thing that I'm realizing is coming from an equity organization, the way we talked about race and diversity is very different than mm. going to a government organization and being in the county office of it. And so mm. um, I need additional strategies myself to help coach folks through this process. And so her book was, um, it was good because I think it was, it was good for me to read as a black person, but I think a lot of it was mm-hmm. targeted towards white people and kind of how they can enter the conversation because a mm. lot of them are, um, afraid apprehensive yes times. exactly yeah. exactly um so I would say that was a good one 
for to help me <laughs> help them <laughs> on their journey um, right now. Um, I'm looking into some different um, resources also to share with the county. And so I am exploring, um, dang it, I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, it's a, it's a 21 day um, racial equity challenge. You know, they say it takes 21 days to make a habit or whatever. So mm-hmm. this is like just little snippets of things that you can read and kind of reflect on. And the idea is that after 21 days, then you'll be more apt to kind of think in that way and be open to reading more around racial justice. Um, And so I think I'm looking into something like that to introduce to the county so I can kind of get everyone um, kind of on the same journey together, even though they might be in different places. So there's just so much out there right now um, because it is such a popular issue right now. Um, So, yeah. I love that. No. And I'm, I've heard of the book. So you want to talk about race, but haven't, haven't read it yet, but I'm really, I think anyone, anyone that helps just break down all of the like scariness Mm -hmm. around having the conversation. Mm -hmm. So you can actually just have a conversation, Mm -hmm. the better, you know, I talked to someone who a white male the other day and we were looking, I was looking for a, um, someone from like a, like a racially diverse financial advisor for someone. And he was so afraid to say like, okay, I know some, but like, I don't want to be racist by recommending it. And it's like, no, we're, we're trying to have a conversation about <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. thinking about diversity differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, you know, the, when you don't talk about it, you aren't able to learn. Exactly. Either. So exactly. I think that's really amazing. Well, thank you so much, Nambi. This was, this was such a lovely conversation. I appreciate you taking time out of your Friday when we're recording this. Um, to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you guys. This was great. This is great. I am proud of you guys, excited for you guys. And I just hope what I said can help somebody. That's, that's my only hope. (laughs) I, if it didn't help any listeners, it definitely helped me. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, we will talk to you all soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.